Hello and welcome. My name's Karen O'Connor and this is Things That Make You Go Mmm. This is your podcast to help you make the most of the wisdom and experience that comes with getting that little bit older. Let's get right into it. Hello and welcome to this week's episode. I'm here with AJ Grossman. Welcome, AJ. Oh, Karen, thank you so much for having me. I feel so blessed to spend time with you today. I, well, one thing I've got to say is your introduction, the way you asked me to introduce you on the podcast, I just love it. Because what AJ says is I help people like the listeners of this show to solve problems. Why? Because I get something more valuable than a fee. I just, this is all about everybody else, isn't it? It is. It really is. You know, it's, it's, I've learned through all the different jobs that I've had and careers that I've had that for me, what matters most is uh, fulfillment. I need to fill my heart. I need to fill my soul with doing something wonderful. And so helping people get through the second most stressful life event they will ever experience and helping them walk to the other side and having somebody say, I am so much better off today than the first day I met you. Thank you. That that means the world to me. Yeah. And I should say, because I didn't, partly because it wasn't in your bio, which I absolutely love. You're actually a divorce lawyer. That's what you specialize in. Yes. Yes. But you did. So you did your law degree after doing a gazillion other things. And then you went on, you and your wife both went on to do a year-long post-grad course in conflict and dispute resolution. Is that right? That's right. We did. A couple of crazy kids. <laughs> Why did you do that? Because you want, and that's the specialization in what you do, isn't it? You help yes. people solve problems, disputes. Yes. Yes. Oh, I, I love that question. So um, when we were going through our law school program, we, we had some wonderful professors and, and several of them became friends of ours. And we were sitting with, with one of them in particular and we said, you know, we're getting very close to graduation with, with thousands and thousands and thousands of other law school graduates. How are we going to distinguish ourselves from everybody else? And she says, well, why don't you go on for another degree? And we looked at each other and we said, are you crazy? We, we just spent three years full time in law school to get this, this Juris Doctorate degree. Really? More school? And she said, hear me out. Hear me out. So she suggested that we contact a, a, a one person in particular and talk with him, which we did. And he said, OK, good plan. If you're going to do this, I want you to only apply to five schools, the five best schools in the country. Don't go anywhere else. And we thought, wow, we are really on a crazy adventure. So we decided, okay, out of the five schools, where are we going to apply? We said, well, why don't we just apply to the number one school in the country and see what happens? And so we did. And in our application, we said we're a married couple. So we're a package deal. You have to take both of us. If you just accept one, neither one of us is coming. And wouldn't you know it, they accepted both of us. And so we went out to Malibu, California, to the Strauss Institute out at Pepperdine University. We were there full time for another year. And it was rigorous. It was intense. But wow, what an experience. One of the most memorable experiences of my life. Why was it so memorable? 
I think because we met so many interesting people and had such a, a wide variety of experiences. For example, um, our incoming class to this Master of Laws program was a total of about nine people. And they were from all over the world. We had somebody from Panama. We had somebody from Quebec. We had somebody from Venezuela. We had uh, somebody from Tibet. We had all kinds of, of people and cultures. And it was it was just so amazing to be able to spend a year with, with people who were lawyers, judges, and other professionals to hear their perspective to hear more about their culture and how they resolve conflicts in their part of the world. And then in addition to that, it was our professors. They're, they're all internationally known. And so it was, it was such an eye-opening experience to hear these different perspectives that were so different from our, from our own. Here in the United States, in America, if you're in California, there's, a, there's a, a one type of perspective, you know, kind of a, a box of experiences. If you're from Florida, there's a different box, a different perspective. But if you talk with somebody from Tibet, oh my goodness, talk about a different perspective. Tell me about that. What are the different perspectives? Oh, my gosh. So I'll talk about conflict resolution and resolving disputes. In, in some cultures, I'll, I'll talk about uh, Native American Indian cultures. Um, there's one in particular, I believe it's a Navajo nation, has a process called a um, peacemaking process. And the way they handle conflicts or disputes with people is the elders in the community sit around in a circle. And they talk. Everybody has a voice. Everybody has value. And they resolve it as a community to help better the community. Whereas in the United States, typically, um, a lot of us think of ourselves as islands. And we operate as an island and we resolve our conflicts as an island. Uh, very rare do we bring in the entire community, whether that be our extended family, our neighbors, our co-workers, you name it. So that was very, very different. We do, don't we? When I think about it now, it's when we're in trouble, it's all about, oh, my gosh, I'm on my own. Yes. And we don't think, and I think that's one of the big problems in our society. We don't feel mm. like we're connected with anybody else or that we can ask people for help. Yes, yes. And, and some cultures are, are what I call collectivist. They, they are connected. They do work together. And some cultures are very individualist. Everybody is an island. And, and I think that, that for, for people, no matter what your age if you can reach out, if you could make yourself vulnerable and reach out to other people, there's always somebody with a different perspective or somebody with, with more experience or different experience or somebody who's been through a very similar experience that you've been through. You could learn so much just by opening yourself up and asking somebody else to talk. Yeah, and, and that's interesting, isn't it? Because our... Uh, default way in our societies, I'm in Australia, you're in America, to um, to resolve conflict is basically to have an argument. We take sides. <laughs> yes, yes, we do. 
Yes, that's that's a typical, a very typical uh, playbook, if you will, for conflict. You know, one person one person takes a, a defensive stance, and the other person takes a defensive stance, and then it's 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 the the mudslinging I like to call it. Right, each person is throwing out judgments and accusations and playing the blame game. Well, you did this. I wouldn't have done that if you had not said that. And it's it's what we need to do is we need to do the opposite. And we need to reach over to that other person and say, we're having a conflict, aren't we? We're not seeing eye to eye. And I really want to learn more about your perspective on this. I want to know more about where you're coming from. Whereas most of us start with, it's all about me, right? This is what you did to me. And this is the problem that I have. And this is what I need you to do to change to make things better for me. Rarely, if ever, do we reach to the other person and say, tell me about you. Tell me what's going on for you. And I think if, if more of us did that, we would, we would make huge strides into resolving more conflicts. We're so terrified, though, because the minute we take a stand is we're going, we're right. And the minute we go, we're right about this, is we have to defend that to the death. <laughs> we cannot right. possibly be wrong. <laughs> right, right. And at the end of the day, does it matter who's right or wrong? Or does it really matter that each person in conflict understands more about the other person? So that so that you learn more about them, and so you you have you stand a better chance of of avoiding conflicts in the future. I'd rather um, build a relationship, learning more about my my partner, this other person, than than being right. Because being right gives me nothing except maybe a short term satisfaction of well, I was right. I destroyed the relationship, but I was right. <laughs> it just doesn't work very well. It's funny <laughs> that I I really understand what you're saying one of my I've got four kids and my second one said he remembers really clearly coming in from school an angsty 14 15 year old and he just wanted an argument and he said you're in the kitchen preparing dinner and he said something to me and he said I saw you go very very quiet you just carried on chopping the vegetables for a few minutes and then you said I can understand why you might feel that way. He said it was the uh, most annoying moment in my life. <laughs> I just wanted an argument. <laughs> that's funny. <laughs> but for all that I can do that in those situations, if I want to be right, all of that stuff goes out the window. <laughs> yes. To be right. It's really yes. difficult. That yes. basic thing that we've learned that being right is, supersedes everything else. Right, right. And you bring up a really interesting point. And that is, as, as human beings, we react emotionally first and logically or reasonably or analytically second. And so that initial gut reaction, that emotional reaction is, I've got to defend myself because I wasn't wrong. I was right. Whereas if you just just take a breath, just take a step back and think about this. What can I do? What's within my control to be able to advance this conversation in a positive way? 
as opposed to taking it down the rabbit hole in a negative way. And I, and I love what you, I love what you said to your, to your son, where you, you actually gave him empathy. I can understand how you might feel that way. And for most people who are not looking for an argument, that's an aha moment. That's what, that's what they're thinking is, oh, she gets me or he gets me. Oh, they really listen to me. And that's a huge step forward in a positive direction to resolve conflict. I love that. I just remember it as um, it's like what I, the, the way I've been taught is if you're having enough, there's two sides to an argument and you've got this side and you got that side. And you can't see the other side unless you move around to the other side. So that was what I was trying to do when I was being quiet. I was trying to move around his side because he was completely in the wrong. It was some outrageous statement that he made. And it took me a good few minutes to go around. I go, <laughs> okay, <laughs> I can see this. But it is you have to give up your own point of view in order to see something from somebody else's point of view, don't you? Yes, yes. And, and, and I, I call that having a learning conversation with somebody. You're, you're going to start out wanting to learn to see their other side by learning a, more about where they're coming from. Uh, and it, it, takes, it takes thought, it takes mindfulness, it takes intention to let that emotional reaction of defend subside and say, I really need to reach across the table, reach across the aisle, reach over to that other person and find out what's really going on for them. And that's the difficult thing to do, isn't it? To let go of, because when somebody comes at you with emotion, you want to respond with emotion. Yes. Yes. It is so difficult. That's our natural first reaction is to respond with emotion. And, and I'll tell you, a lot of my clients they will see me do that with their their spouse or their partner. Uh, if we're in a negotiation or a mediation where we're all in the same room and we're sitting across the table from each other, I will actually reach across the table and, and say something like, it sounds like it's this has been really difficult for you. Help me understand what you were feeling when that happened. And a, a lot of my clients kind of look at me a, a little cross-eyed and say, why do you care what she thinks? Why do you care what he thinks? You're supposed to represent me. You're supposed to defend me. And so, so I, I talk to them either beforehand to prepare them or afterwards and say, look, this is what I was doing. I was trying to build a bridge. I was trying to build a connection so that we could actually further tr build trust and further positive communication. And, and most of them will hear that and they'll go, oh, I get it now. So how do you deal with other, right, let me go on to the men and women side of things. Are they different? Because I was, yeah, it sparked a few questions or, or a few uh, light bulbs went off when you were saying that. Is it different dealing with men and women? How is it different? Absolutely, it's different. And so um, one of the ways it's different is in um, approach to a problem or approach to a conflict. Most men, myself included, before I, I learned everything that I learned, um, I, I came from a, of a, a very natural, almost instinctual perspective of, 
there's a problem. I need to fix it. That's my job. I need to fix it. And, and I've learned, I've learned, um, especially with the help of my wife, she'll say to me, um, I've got something I'd like to talk with you about. And all I need you to do is listen. Oh, oh, I know what my job is. All I have to do is listen. I don't have to pull out my tool belt and try and fix it. And she appreciates that so much. So as men, we see a conflict, we see a problem, we immediately want to fix it. And we don't understand when we come up with the solution, why our female partner isn't ready to sign on for the solution. I just told you what the answer is. Why, why, aren't, you, why aren't you ready to agree with me and just implement the, the fix that I have? Whereas with, with most women, they like to talk. They like to openly discuss things. They like to um, talk with a lot of people. They like to have multiple conversations going on at the same time. And, and feelings, feelings are so, and I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make a, um, a stereotype here. Not all women are this way, but in my experience, most are. Feelings are incredibly important. And so if you have a, a woman and a man, and the man believes feelings have no place in, in this conflict. This is really just a business deal. And the woman is looking for some kind of acknowledgement or validation of her feelings. That's when the conflict can escalate because the woman is not feeling seen, not feeling heard, not feeling valued. She's thinking, my feelings are important here, and you're not willing to give me the time to let me express them and to listen to them and to sh demonstrate for me that you actually heard what I said. And so th th that's, that, those are some good examples of the differences I've seen. So when you're dealing with the conflict, like in a divorce situation in particular, because everything's usually got way out of control by the time they come and see you, how do you yes. deal with those different things? So if, if I'm representing um, a husband, a man, <clears throat> I'll usually talk with him before we've ever had any um, negotiation sessions or mediation sessions. I'll talk with him about um, his relationship. And so I'll ask him questions like, how did you meet? And what, did you, what, did, what attracted you to her? And what do you love most about her? What do you wish you could change? When you've had conflicts in the past, how have you tried to resolve them? And how did that work? How do you feel when she wants to talk? How do you feel after a long day of work and you come home and all you want to do is eat dinner and, and watch the football game when she says, there's something we need to talk about? How do you feel? And so I'll try and help educate the, the man, the male client that you really need to understand how different your partner is. And if you have any hopes of meeting in the middle, finding common ground to resolve the issues, you really need to put some effort into understanding where she's coming from. And that, that's probably going to be incredibly uncomfortable. It's going to be incredibly frustrating. And what I'm telling you is you need to do it. You absolutely need to do it. And so that's what I'll do with my male clients. With my female clients, I'll talk with them. I'll ask them very similar questions to try and understand the dynamic in the relationship. And oftentimes what I'll say is, 
um, especially if, if their communication has been very lengthy, very wordy, I'll say, have you tried being very brief or succinct with your communication? So instead of sending, you know, a three or four or five page email, including all your feelings in there, have you thought about maybe writing a couple of sentences and just addressing the, 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 the issues or the questions that he posed to you and then leaving it at that? Have you tried that? No, I haven't. Are you willing to try it? Yes, I'll try it. And oftentimes what I'll get back is, thank you. Thank you for that tip. Our communication is getting better. It's, it's really fascinating that we don't know this stuff. We're in the 20, are we in the 21st century? We're in whatever century it is. Um, and we still don't know this stuff. It, mm. To me, it's the kind of thing that should be taught in junior school, you know? Yes, yes, <laughs> yes. I have been saying for years now that we need some kind of class or curriculum in our elementary schools teaching our young people how to have better interpersonal communications, because you're absolutely right. We teach math, we teach English, we teach history, we teach everything under the sun, except how to how to build trust with somebody, how to help somebody feel heard, how to help somebody feel valued, how to truly listen in a conversation. We just don't teach those things and we really should. Yeah, the listening thing is really important, isn't it? Because we don't it's really fascinating. I've always enjoyed having conversations with people and doing a podcast has kind of leveled up those skills because I've got to shut up <laughs> to what you're saying, you know? Right. And, and not be and just be willing to go with the flow of the conversation. And I find it quite interesting that with you're having a conversation with a lot of people that maybe you've never met before. And they cut you off halfway through a sentence. <laughs> yes, yes. And what does it for me? That flicks a switch, and it tell it's a it's a clear communication to me. I don't I don't really have value for them. I don't I don't I don't really have any kind of importance to them. They're more important to me. So I guess I'll be more reserved. Maybe I'll be more quiet, and I won't be as open. So it, it kind of shuts me down when that happens. Yeah, it does me. It just tells me they're not interested in me. They're just interested in telling me what they want to tell me and I just need to shut up and listen. Yes, yes. And there are so many simple, very simple practical techniques that, that people can use to help another person feel valued, acknowledged, and important. And, and I'll give you a, a perfect example. <clears throat> if, if somebody says, um, John, um, and I, I'm I'm Susie. John, I really wish that you would ask me how my day was when I came home. If John would respond with, it would really matter to you if I asked you about your day. Sounds like that would be really important to you. I mean, that right there demonstrates that John was listening. He heard what she said. He assigned a value to it. That sounds like it's really important to you that just just that one simple practical technique of just reflecting back to somebody in your own words, what you just heard them say is huge, absolutely huge. 
And this does, it isn't just about marriage or significant other relationships. This goes through your whole life, doesn't it? Because just thinking about a work situation, <laughs> that oh, yeah. distinct lack of knowledge about how the other gender works can, can cause all sorts of problems. Absolutely. And, and it, it applies to, I think, any relationship you have anywhere because the common denominator in every relationship is we're all human we cannot avoid our humanness whether in a work relationship a familial relationship a neighbor relationship um, whatever it is we're all human and so those human needs for acknowledgement to feel valued to feel important um, are still there and they follow us wherever we go oh Two thoughts came into my mind at the same time then. How does this gender difference work in other countries? You know, like you mentioned somebody from Tibet because we were looking, you were talking about the differences in conflict resolution over there earlier. But what about the differences in gender? So that's very interesting. And it, it goes back to what we talked about earlier, uh, an individualistic culture versus a collectivist culture. Um, and then other things. Is it, is it a very paternalistic type of society or culture? Are, are the cultural norms that uh, a woman should be quiet and relatively hidden? Where, whereas the men are, are, are the ones that are visible, they're out front, they're the ones making all the decisions. So it does vary from country to country and culture to culture. So I, I would say, take what I have to say with a grain of salt, because it may not apply in your culture. You may have to use some different techniques. You might have to use a technique um, when you're in private at home versus when you're in public. Because there are many cultures, the Japanese culture uh, in particular, that does not like to be shamed. Public shaming should not happen. And if I make the mistake as an American doing um, a business deal in Japan, and I say something that shames uh, uh, one of these people I'm trying to make a, a deal with, Oh my gosh, what a faux pas I just made because I didn't take some time to learn about the culture. That now that goes back to what we were just saying, taking time to understand. Understanding perhaps isn't something that's oh, I was gonna say isn't something we do naturally. I think it possibly is. We kind of bred out of it. It's kind of taught out of us a little bit, isn't it? Mm, that's really that's really interesting. Yeah, you know, I, I think that. What I've learned about humans, myself included, is that we have a tendency to think that other people are just like us. And so, <laughs> right, right. Hasn't everybody had a childhood similar to mine? Hasn't everybody had parents just like mine? And it's not until you've experienced the world that you've put yourself out there, that you become vulnerable, that you, you learn about different cultures, that you travel the world and go to different places, that you realize, oh my gosh, there's nobody else just like me. We are all unique people. Nobody else has had the same childhood I've had. Nobody had the same parents I had. Nobody's had the same life experiences I've had. And so we're all walking, we're walking through life with our own set of 
uh, tinted glasses or, or, or colored glasses. And we view, we view other people, we view other, um, other religions, we view uh, businesses, we view pretty much everything in the world through these glasses that we have that were formed and created based upon our experiences. And so we all see the world very differently. And I love to celebrate those differences. And, and I, I think too many of us make the mistake of, of thinking that others are just like us when we should think the opposite. This person is nothing like me. I need to learn more about them. Yeah. And, and again, there's two sides to that, isn't there? Because there's the side where we think because we've had these experiences and, you know, our natural we want to be right, you know, we desperately want to be right because that's a kind of validation for it. Ah, oh, I hadn't thought of that. Being right is a validation, isn't it? And we want to bring other people in to validate our rightness. <laughs> yes, yes. And, and rightness, in my opinion, is a short-term dopamine hit to our physiology. We get this very short-term high, if you will, or, or positive endorphins flowing through our, our, our physiology, and then it goes away. And, and I can't tell you, Karen, how many people I work with who say things like, I want my day in court because I'm right. And the judge is going to see that I'm right. And, and nine times out of 10, what I tell them is, it doesn't matter whether you're right or wrong. And the judge is not going to have time to hear your whole story. What we really need to do is focus on today moving forward, not what's in the past, how do you restructure your family to go forward? And it has nothing to do with you being right. It has everything to do with finding a common ground between you and figuring out a plan that you can live with and your partner can live with to move forward as a different kind of family. Even as you're saying that, like if I'm the one being right, I feel physically sick at the thought of having someone tell me that my rightness does not make everybody's not going to agree with me. Mm, yes, yes. You know, it's, it's, it's very uncomfortable. And, you know, if you think about a lot of things in life um, that are good for us, so many of them are uncomfortable. And, and I'll use, I'll use my, uh, my wife's mom, my mother-in-law, as an example. She gets very uncomfortable when she exercises. And she doesn't like to be uncomfortable. But the exercise is really good for her. Right. And so 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 doing the exercise and being uncomfortable, it's the right thing to do. And so so when you when 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 you're feeling, I feel like I need to be right. I feel like I need to prove my point. Just take a breath, take a step back and ask yourself, how is this going to benefit the relationship I have with this person? Is it going to be helpful? Or is it going to be destructive? And I'll tell you, nine times out of 10, needing to be right is almost always going to be destructive because that other person is going to leave the conversation or the, or the conflict thinking, he always has to be right. I don't understand it. Why does he always have to be right? Can't he just listen to me and, and acknowledge that I have value, that I have a perspective that matters? No, he's got to tell me he's right. 
Being right, this is a thought that's going on in my head, is kind of like the McDonald's <laughs> of human experiences. Ah, yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, that's really interesting. Very, yeah, very fast, very quick. Um, it's it's done and out. <laughs> you get that immediate sugar rush. <laughs> yep. You're out of there. And then you're yes. hungry again in an hour. <laughs> right. <laughs> yes, yes. It's, you know, it, it, it's so interesting, especially um, doing divorce work, because people, people are very focused on, you know, I was like, like I was the better parent in the relationship, or I'm the parent with the right idea of how to parent. And and it's, it's, it's really, I, I do everything I can to try and change that perspective to, look, neither one of us is right and neither one of us is wrong. There's no higher power that's going to anoint us as the right one or the wrong one. We simply have a different, we have different perspectives. We have different ideas about how to parent and each one has value most of the time. And so, so let's figure out how to work with this. And, and, and one thing I talk about a lot with my clients is <clears throat> you can only control what's within your power to control. You can't control how your co-parent parents when your children are with them at their house. So let it go. It, it's wasted energy. You'll never be able to control it. Let them parent in their own way. Stop trying to force them or control them to parent in the way you think is right, the way you think is perfect, because you're just different. That is That's hard. So hard to do, though, isn't it? <laughs> yes. Yes, it is. Very <laughs> difficult. One conversation, is it? That's multiple conversations. <laughs> Yes, it is. Yes, it is. And, and we, could, we could go way down the rabbit hole with this one. Um, one. One thing that just popped into my mind was, <clears throat> as young men, at least as a young man, I was taught, don't show your emotions, right? Never admit defeat. Always be competitive. Always try and win. You know, always try and be right. Never admit that you're wrong. And that's just such bad advice. Oh, it's just absolutely terrible. But how many men, myself included, have been raised that way with that perspective? And it causes so much more harm than it helps the individual man with himself. Yeah, it's very toxic, isn't it? And even thinking about that on a... Uh... A national scale, I suppose, and and even within religions, there's a lot of this, I'm right and you're wrong. There's no attempt to understand from another's perspective. Yes, yes. And that's, you know, you, you bring up a, a very interesting um, topic, and it, it would be a whole whole can of worms, if you will, and that is religion. And, and, and it's so fascinating to me. Because you're absolutely right. It seems to me, from my perspective, from my experience, that each religion thinks they're right. That they, they know, they know with 100% certainty exactly what happened in history and that their religion and their rules and their doctrine is absolutely the right and perfect way 
to to live one's life. And I and I and as I've gotten older, you know, I, I was I was raised a, a Roman Catholic. I went to church every Sunday. But as I got older and I got exposed to other religions, I started, you know, really getting curious about about all these different religions and their different perspectives and and how how each one is a little bit different and and they're very similar and and i think oh gosh if we could just if we could just make ourselves vulnerable and open ourselves up and say look nobody really knows nobody really knows for sure is faith important absolutely it's important but don't take it to the extreme and say that because you're X religion and I'm Y religion, that you're wrong. And that makes you a bad person in my mind because you're wrong. Yeah, it's, it's really interesting because I find the same thing. As I, I grew up, I, I went to an Anglican school my whole life. And um, they're very, the Anglicans, I feel like I've been lucky because they're much more inclusive than a lot of other religions and I just find it as I've gotten older I've gotten <laughs> more and more intolerant <laughs> of the intolerance <laughs> ah yes 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 I, I I love what you said um I I went to a um a a Catholic high school that was um run by Jesuits a very specific order and the Jesuits to me, in my experience, were so more open-minded than most religious people. They were so, they're highly intelligent and very, very open to, to new experiences and different perspectives. And, and I miss that. I miss that so much. And having, having relocated from California on the West Coast of America to Florida in the South of the United States, it's been a bit of a of a of a learning curve for me when it comes to religion. And for example, out in California, I don't remember anybody ever asking me, so so where do you go to services? It just wasn't important in the California culture. I came to Florida, I was here less than a week and I probably had a handful of people ask me, so where do you go for Sunday services? Very very important, very culturally different. It's so fascinating. And, and does that, is that, like if I think of as an outsider, you know, I live in Australia. If I think of California, I think open-minded, more acceptance. But when I think of Florida, I think <laughs> not so open-minded, not so accepting. <laughs> yes, I, I would say you're, you're very accurate. It, it's very, di- the, the Florida is very different from California or, or a lot of the, the West Coast, Oregon, um, uh, Washington, very different. More open-minded, yes, I would agree with you. The South is very much more um, um, rigid in their thinking, I think. And, and I'm not saying that's right. I'm not saying it's wrong. It's simply different. How, so does that, oh, there's one. So does that difference in, why did you move to Florida? <laughs> Great question. I had, I've had so many people over the years ask me, are you crazy? You, you, left, you left San Francisco and the Bay Area in California to move to Florida? Why? <laughs> so, uh, so I have an answer for that. 
So um, many years ago, uh, my wife at the time, who's now my ex-wife, we took a trip to Florida and we traveled through the Florida Keys. We spent some time on the Gulf Coast and I really enjoyed it. I, I loved the, um, the slower pace of life out here. I loved the idea of, a, of an ocean or water-based culture where, where people would go out on boats on the weekend for, for relaxation. And, and, and I really enjoyed it. And I was born in Honolulu, Hawaii. And I think that that has something to do with it. You know, I'm all, I've always been drawn to the ocean. I've always been drawn to, to palm trees and, and, and rain and, and lush rainforests. And so Florida had a lot of those things. And so when I was applying to law schools, there was a, a law school out here in Florida that offered me a scholarship. So I thought, wow, they're going to help me pay for my tuition and I get to move to Florida, which I always thought was pretty cool. Yep, I'm packing my bags and I'm going. So that's what brought me out here. Because in terms of your personality and psychology and everything, Florida is not the place that I'd put you. <laughs> yes, yes, you're, you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. Um, my wife and I talk about that a lot. <clears throat> we talk about the difference between um, California and our experience out at Pepperdine University and our experience at law school here in Florida and how we sometimes we feel like our perspective uh, might be more appreciated with more of a West Coast type of culture than an East or South Coast um, type of culture. You're absolutely right. You know, and, and again, they're neither right or wrong. They're simply different. And so it's, it, it's, I've had a learning curve and um, what's, what's fascinating about, what's fascinating about um, what I do and having done this for over a decade now <clears throat> is oftentimes I get to work with people who are from other places you know, I read, I read a statistic that, that over 50% of the population in Florida is from someplace else. So I've had clients from, from California, from Oregon, from Washington, from, from various other states, New York, uh, Vermont. Very, I would say very few of my clients I would consider native Floridians who hold true to a stereotypical Florida culture. And so I love that part of, of my job. I get to work with so many different types of people from different places. Now, that's interesting. So the typical Floridian would not come to you. I don't think so. I don't think so. I think, I think a typical Floridian would probably, if they were doing a Google search, they'd probably do something like Christian divorce lawyer or Baptist divorce lawyer, or um, something along those lines, because religion is so important to the native Florida culture. So I don't think that my kind of West Coast sensibility, my, my openness to other thoughts and ideas would, would really gel or fit very well with a stereotypical South or Southern type of mindset. Mm, I could go down that rabbit hole and I'm oh, really, yes. really, really tempted. <laughs> <laughs> we sure could. Good. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe so you're notified when a new episode is posted and rate and review this podcast and share it with your friends, please. 
Thanks so much for listening. And I hope you're leaving with some great ideas that can make a difference in your everyday life. Until next time.